Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Hello and welcome to GCSE English Revision Pod. It is the last day of term. Praise be. People are going off. Students have run euphorically through the gates. But not us. Not as. Not as. We have stayed here because we have a job to do, sir. And that job is poetry. Right, the job that never sleeps, the work that never ends, the stanzas that just roll into one another, enjoyment by enjoyment. Alright, alright. Okay, so, okay, um, we're looking at Power and Conflict episode 6, and the question we're going to be exploring today, um, I think it's a nice easy one, this would be a gift. Mm-hmm. I dream of this question. Um, compare the ways the poets present the chaos and confusion of war in The Charge of the Light Brigade and one other poem from Power and Conflict. That sounds like a spectacular question. However, before we get into it, I would just like to say that we are contactable as ever at GCSE... What's our email address? No, you don't even know our address. Sorry. EnglishRevisionPod at gmail.com. Oh, thank you. It's the, it's the at gmail and the GCSE bit that confuses me. We're Great. also on Twitter. We are on Twitter. You can add us, follow us. I don't know the terminology. Whatever you do, you can do it at G Revision Pod. Give us a follow. Let us know either by email or tweet what you would like us to cover next. Yeah, and obviously uh, the episode reminder. Please do download the handout in the bio now. It has all of the key quotations, all of the key AO3, and it will really help you to annotate this as you listen. I always tell my students, active revision is the best revision. Right, that's it. That's very very true. And we're now at a point. I think this is our 18th episode overall. So that's 18 different handouts um, that you could be downloading to help you with your studies. Take us through the question again, sir. So, um, so to read the question, we're looking at the chaos and confusion of war in Charge the Light Brigade in one of the poems. So, quick game of Did You Fail? What might make you fail if you picked here? What Ooh, poems? I, I think I'd probably compare this to uh, Ozymandias. Ooh, is that about war? Oh, I think you failed there. Should I we try another one? Oh, I think I'd probably compare it to checking out my history. Not really about war, though, is it? Oh, Very hard a, one. So that's another here. fail. So any poem that's not about war, you are going to automatically fail. But likewise, chaos and confusion. I probably wouldn't pick exposure. No. Because that's the very essence of exposure, I suppose. Sorry to talk over you, but I guess what you're saying is that um, exposure is very much about the lack of chaos and confusion in war. And that's a really hard comparison with this kind of theme. So straight away, the obvious one is, of course, bayonet charge. Mm -hmm. They go together like peas and carrots, to have another out-of-date reference. Yeah, no, but I think it's very true. But you, but oddly... I mean, I'm looking. I'm looking at the uh, the handout, and that doesn't seem to be the one you've gone for. Yeah, charge the light brigade and bayonet charge. 
Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay. You're I looking at the wrong handout. So, I do um, apologise. <laughs> we were recording two episodes at the same time. Yeah, which is blowing my mind. Get with the picture. <laughs> sorry, I, so, th- I thought you were doing a bit. I thought I was no, meant to realise and no. then you were going to correct me. We, we are looking at Chaos and Confu- Confusion of War in Charm of the Light Brigade and Bayonet Charge. So, Fantastic. Let, we always start an essay. The way I like to structure a poetry essay, as we've said a few times, is I like to start with a comparative thesis. Yeah. An introduction that sets out precisely how do they both engage with this theme of the question, what are the poets saying about it and how are they both similar and different a good introduction puts you so far on the way to getting those marks doesn't yes. it if you've set out where you're going because it's not just the introduction it's not just the fact that the introduction is on the page it's psychologically what you have already told your own mind and about where the essay is yeah, going and if you're gunning for those top grades it helps you set up a conceptualized response where there's a consistent argument that runs all the way yeah. through so this is my thesis and you can find this on the handout that you can download from the bio yeah. Alfred Lord Tennyson's poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade, written in 1854 after an account of the Battle of Balaclava in the Crimea was published in the Times, depicts the bravery of the cavalry charge, mm-hmm. attacking an impregnable Russian gun position. Similarly, Bayonet Charge by Ted Hughes engages with the nightmarish terror of an attack which presumably takes place in the First World War. Yet, whilst both poems certainly present the chaos and confusion of war, the focus in Bayonet Charge is much narrower, mm-hmm. with Hughes, like the poetry of Wilfred Owen that he so admired, engaging simply with the experience of an individual as he runs towards enemy lines. Right, and I'm sure you'll come onto this later in the podcast, and it's very different, isn't it, that the sort of experience of the individual is that nothing else in bayonet charge nothing else matters apart from the fact that he's running at these guns and he's, he's experiencing this he's moment he's caught up in the chaos and confusion of the moment right whereas charge of the light brigade looks at honour and yeah. chivalry and well, it, it looks at how you know in how by living through the chaos and confusion of battle you, soldiers have achieved this 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 honour and this and, and this I think I see. So you've done that quite nice thing where you've linked them together in the introduction or the the comparative thesis, as you but call we, it. But right but by then, the end, there's a few little differences. We're right, and that's setting up where the essay is going to go. They're yeah. very similar in some ways, but there are some really nice key differences for us to get our teeth and, into. And it sets up a really easy first paragraph, which okay. is both poems evoke a sense of the soldier's confusion and terror in the midst of an attack. Right. It doesn't get much, much simpler than that. No, you've gone with the question, but that, as with all good poetry essays, there's some really fascinating stuff to say about how that is yeah. created. So we need to look now at... Let's start by looking at Charge of the Light Brigade. And the first thing I'd say is the poem has this real frenetic pace that runs through. So there's this repetition that the poem begins with. Okay. Half a league, half a league, half a league onwards. Mm-hmm. Which almost mirrors the thoughts of one of the cavalry officers charging towards the Russian right. guns. Repeating this almost Repeating mantra this. in his head, you know. Yeah. It, the technical term, you could say it functions as free indirect discourse, which is where in a third person narrative you see the thoughts of a character for a moment free indirect discourse yeah it's fascinating fancy moments moments of individual dialogue within 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 a a third a third person framework brilliant what a great term and and I think this sets up the determination of the soldiers in the face of adversity that despite the chaos and confusion there's this insistent repetition on where on on, on the destination there's a real sense of purpose which we're going to contrast with the purposelessness of bayonet charge right just half a league to go they've drummed it into the themselves almost literally drummed with the yeah. sort of um, and, and, and interesting you said that because of course this is echoed structurally with the the rhythm the meter of the line because it, it's something called dactylic rhythm mm. which is a fancy way of saying it goes dum da da dum da da dum da da dum dactylic rhythm 
dactylic. Uh, the, you can find the spelling on your sheet. Yes. Um, it goes half a league, half a league, half a league onwards. Which, of course, mirrors the sound of the horse's hooves. Yeah. And it gives this point this relentless m- momentum, mm. pushing it through um, to towards where they're going. So you're saying our students can almost sort of imagine the soldiers driving themselves onwards, you know. Yeah, the rhythm reflects that that relentless drive towards the Russian guns. Right, okay. And we see this also in where they're going, because the, the other kind of language point I'd like to make here is that the description of the Russian gun position is described with this dark figurative imagery. It's described as the Valley of Death, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously a reference to Psalm 23 from the Bible. People you, might know it from the song Gangster's Paradise. Can you sing it for us? Not right now, but I would highly recommend that if uh, <laughs> our students YouTube and it. Some of our youth. Odd bit of revision, but helpful nonetheless. Yeah. Mm. Um, do you want me to sing? No. Uh, no <laughs> they don't deserve that. So, um, so, so they're going towards the Valley of Death, this yeah. reference to Psalm 23, the personified jaws of death, the mouth of hell. Mm. So we've got this real interesting connection that the, there's something almost zoomorphic. So he brings it to life, doesn't he? Like a, yeah, the, as, if the, as if the Russian guns are some kind of monster waiting to consume the soldiers as they charge. So weirdly, a bit of a stretching challenge point here, I think, would be that through that depiction of the Russian guns, what you actually get amongst all this confusion and terror is actually a real simplification of the message of war itself, which is these brave heroes charging towards an evil beast. Yeah, and I think what's interesting in terms of an AO3 point here is that unlike the account in the Times that Tennyson actually read, mm. which, um, which, uh, which focused simply on the numbers who died, right. it was very factual, yeah. Tennyson instead engages with their bravery in response, yeah. choosing to charge towards this terrifying force. Okay, so it's a much more emotive, it's a much more sort of um, admiring depiction yeah. of what went on that day. And this could not be more different from Bayonet Charge, because whilst Bayonet Charge similarly evokes a sense of the confusion and terror of a soldier in the midst of an attack, uh-huh. um, it's disorientating and confusing and uh-huh. nightmarish. Time seems to shift, the yeah. moment stretches out across time. Yeah. And so we, we analysed this in a previous episode, but the, the, it starts with this adverb, suddenly. Uh-huh. So we're plunged into action with a, a series of breathless, enjambed lines... And it, and it just builds up a sense of the soldier's confusion. Mm-hmm. We've got all these present participles, running, stumbling, hearing, smacking, sweating, that just creates this, this real sense of the, the reader being thrust into the moment. Right. Rather than sort of where you hear the voice. Okay, so in, in that first poem that we talked about, In Charge of the Light Brigade, you've got a sense of the voice of the, the chargers. And the determination to the, get there. Right. Here, you've got a very, very different thing where you're experiencing the charge, but you're experiencing it on a very visceral kind of yeah. realistic level. You're, you're Excellent getting... word, visceral. Can you quickly define that for our listeners, please? It means that you're kind of experiencing the sort of physical, raw, yeah. human Because you're, 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 you're viscerally, literally, you're, you're inside. So if I was to chop open Mr. Galley, we'd see his viscera. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't. It's a podcast. Maybe, maybe a future episode. Future episode. Yeah. Um, but one other thing here, let's look at the connotations of stumbling as well. Because okay. unlike the, the glorious nature of this charge in, in Tennyson's poem, the, the connotation of the, of, of the verb stumbling implies this sense of purposelessness, this sense right. of clumsiness that, that again evokes his helplessness on the battlefield. It's one of those beautiful real slash metaphorical literal slash metaphorical bits of analysis isn't it? On the one hand we can well imagine that he did stumble over a pothole in the battlefield or whatever it may have been but really 
the stumbling is in why am I doing this? What yeah. am I running Seems towards? To represent what am his I... lack of purpose? Yeah, you know, unlike the specific half a league that the the cavalry officers have to charge to over the, yeah. the league being a unit of distance, of course. Um, uh, the, the, the soldier and bayonet charges is, is just stumbling to to a green hedge. Yes. So um, that's probably our first paragraph. I think mm-hmm. it's quite a lot to kind of to get your teeth into. Yeah, get the handout downloaded. Go and have a look. And I think where I want to move then is I want to talk about how there is a real difference in the way the two poets depict soldiers. Okay. So Tennyson emphasises the bravery of the British cavalry, while Hughes instead focuses on the powerlessness of an individual caught up in the chaos of a charge. Would it be too simplistic to say that Charge of the Light Brigade's almost sort of propagandist in nature? It's almost trying to build up the ideas of the Empire and the well, British and whatnot. To a while... certain extent, but it is critical of those that gave the orders, because of course right. in stanza two it says not that the soldier knew someone had blundered. Mm. So there is an implicit critique of the, the, of the officers that would order such a a suicidal attack but yeah. you're right it, it certainly builds upon a more positive notion of heroism that we might be more familiar with perhaps from, from older war poetry mm-hmm. so I mean let's look at the, the adverbs used to describe the heroism of the light brigade and con- contrast them with what we've just seen in bayonet charge they're described as riding boldly and well and the verbs describing their sabres, their swords, that flashed as they turned in air. This is a real image of heroism. Yeah. And, and even that, that verb flashed, again, there's this, there's, is, a, is a visual kind of depiction, isn't it, of the, Imagining their glory. light catching yeah. the blades, you know, and they're, they're almost aflame, you know, as they charge onwards. Yeah, it's, it's, it seems like something out of a painting, something kind of yeah. beautiful. Um, but there is, of course, at the same time, a sense of their powerlessness that we might be able to compare with bayonet charge so we do have in this second stanza this anaphoric repetition there's not to make reply there's not to reason why there's but to do and die right so here you're really getting into the more critical as you said aspect of the poem yeah well i think the crucial thing about this poem is that is that tennyson is celebrating the bravery of the cavalry officers whilst critiquing the orders that sent them against this impregnable russian gun position there's that phrase isn't there people say lions led by donkeys (laughs) i've never heard that before i've I've never looked like a metaphor for our department yeah it really it really does leading that yeah terrible man um, (laughs) they i suppose yeah, I suppose it, it's that, isn't it? It's this idea of the bravery of those who go and do the actual stuff combined with the sometimes inadequacies yeah. of those who command them. And we could compare this lack of agency of the soldiers there's but to do and die with the, the soldier and bayonet charge. Right. So, you know, he we see his bewilderment, his desire to get out of the blue crackling air, his terror's touchy dynamite. Mm-hmm. There's quite a lot to analyse here. I mean, first of all, let's talk about the metaphor of his terror as dynamite. Yeah. What does that imply? It implies... You know, it could blow up. It could it's going to consume him like fire and powder, yeah. as the fire would say. Yeah. So fear is presented as this it's physical pod thing. reference there. Very yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also synesthesia here. So synesthesia is where, of course, your senses are mixed up. So here, the the, the blue crackling air. Right. Um, there's this real sense. He's this, seeing rather than feeling yeah, the air. He's seeing rather than feeling the air. The, 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 the air is this kind of. We're just seeing this confusion. So he's so powerless, our students could perhaps say, he's so powerless in this moment that his five senses, you know, the the the, the absolute, absolute fundamental things we use to experience the world, even they are becoming confused, even sight and sound and colour yeah. and noise, it's all getting mixed up into in this synesthesia. terrible nightmare. And synesthesia is the term. Brilliant. Go and get the handout. Get that handout. Get it. Mm. Um, I like how you put that. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, we could also talk about the, the, his sweat being heavy, suggesting that his fear is this physical weight right. pulling down on him. 
And again, unlike the patriotism of the cavalry in Tennyson's poem, you know, Hughes portrays kings, honour, human dignity, etc., as luxuries. We talked about this in a previous pod. Yeah. Um, but the, the suggestion is, of course, that these are things that um, that you lose in a battlefield where everything is reduced to this simple, insistent desire to mm-hmm. stay alive. There's an interesting thing here, really, isn't there? Because even though this is set up as a contrast paragraph... It's actually a similarity. There's a bit of a stretch well. and challenge, isn't there? That both of the men, even even though it's you're absolutely right to contrast bravery and control versus chaos and sort of yeah. loss of all sense of purpose and all those sort of things, there's also quite a strong depiction that both of them are controlled by someone else and both yeah. of them don't want to be there. And a great way to do that is right at the end of the paragraph. So you compare, you contrast them all the way through the paragraph and you finish by saying something like, however, although there is this mm. difference, a similarity that can be seen is in how... Yeah. Um, in both cases we see soldiers who lack agency who lack power who are yeah. unable to control their own destiny and you really you really leave the examiner thinking wow this is a student who knows their way around these yeah. poems or a student who's listened to that revision pod yeah I think that that will be what they think for we sure world famous I think that brings us on to paragraph three yes so I think this is about the ultimate function of the two poems so mm. perhaps the ultimate difference is between the depiction of chaos and confusion of war in the two poems is that Tennyson's poem ultimately functions as memorial yep. for a specific battle. It's, it's, it's celebrating the bravery of the 607 men who charged the Russian guns. Mm-hmm. Whilst Hughes instead is presenting us with an everyman figure who is representing the confusing and, and horrific experience of war for an individual. So, He's almost saying this is what war does to a person yeah. rather than a specific Tennyson battle. Tennyson is celebrating some real people who actually did. Right. Like, um, you know, commit this very incredibly brave action. Yes. So it's a very simple kind of comparison, I think, to finish. So you can talk about the final stanza of Charge of the Light Brigade. This is where I'm obviously going to look. You yeah. know, unlike the grim descriptions of the battlefield, a horse and hero fell, they're stormed out with shot and shell, um, uh, we, we end with a series of imperatives. Honour the charge they made. Honour the Light Brigade. Mm-hmm. Noble 600s. There's this repetition of honour, this, this imperative verb for us to honour. And this sets up, this encapsulates, that's a great way of saying it, you know, it sums up. This encapsulates the purpose of the poem, which is, of course, celebrating um, mm. the bravery of, right. of these men. Yeah, absolutely. Did he, am I, am I getting confused, did he read it in Parliament or something? Um, yeah, I think he did. I, I can't remember. I, I'm yeah, a bit shouldn't have brought that, that up when I didn't know the answer to the question, yeah. really, should I? You should see my no thing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how I get through life. <laughs> so, bayonet charge. Yeah, I think this could not be more different from the dense symbolism, the elusive metaphors which define Hughes's poem, particularly in the second half. I think we talked about this metaphor before, but I want to come back to it because I think it's super important. Mm-hmm. Um, Hughes depicts him figuratively as the hand pointing that second in the cold clockwork of the stars. Okay. It's a really interesting metaphor, isn't it? Because it's comparing him to a tiny cog or a tiny piece of a big clockwork mechanism, mm. suggesting that, you know, he is his, both his lack of agency, his lack of power, he's driven on by a mechanism he can't control, his lack of choice, but also his insignificance. See, I, re- I read that differently to you a little bit. I think okay. we, could maybe, we could maybe talk about it a bit. I'm, I'm sure I'm wrong, but just on the off chance, is he not also 
although he's a cog, although he's seemingly insignificant, he is pointing the second hand. So at that moment, is he not, while being insignificant, is he not paradoxically also at the centre of everything? Well, that's a lovely little bit of AO2 that we can do there, students, because yeah. I would probably start with my interpretation, then what I'd do is I'd turn, use Mr. Sure Gallies. Would. <laughs> I'd, I'd use Mr. Gallies to evaluate, because often one really, one kind of thing I always say to my students, it's better to have fewer quotations, but really analyse mm. them in detail they're yeah. trying to analyse everything. So even with all these quotations we've picked out today, I wouldn't necessarily use all of them in an no. essay. Uh, it's a bit of a choice to you as to which ones really speak to you. So here you can start off by saying how, while initially the figurative idea of him as a second hand in the cold clockwork of the stars sets him up as an insignificant mm. cog in the grand scheme of the universe, without agency, without power, driven on by a mechanism he can't mm. control, equally the fact that he is pointing that second places us in a moment with him, looking at him as an individual, which seems to give him a kind of importance. Yeah, and I wonder if the point is, getting a bit deeper into it, that although... A soldier may feel absolutely insignificant and just like a cog in this huge machine. Wars are won. History is changed. The, the, the course of human history is written by thousands of those little moments, by thousands of individuals pointing the second hand at that one moment. Very nice. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I think that, I mean, there's a final point we probably wouldn't have time for, but we'll mention it anyway. Okay. There is this disturbing image of the yellow hair yeah. at the end that's crawled in a threshing circle. Distressed. Yeah, and that participle threshing here, obviously, this is a horrible visual metaphor because a, a flail, of course, is, is a, a, a thresher is, a, is, is, is describing a flail that used to kind of like whip corn. I don't really understand um, mm. farming analogies um, but it's a horrible metaphor if you think about the image of a, to me. Of, a, of, a, <laughs> of a dying animal like thrashing around on the floor yeah and it seems to prefigure doesn't it the soldier's fate that he's reduced to like this hair this animalistic figure vulnerable absolutely in the chaos and confusion of the battlefield I feel uh, we, we perhaps wandered off a little in that fair paragraph but I think that's good because the way our students should be listening to this is not necessarily just blindly following everything that gets said but like the, the soldiers in charge exactly, of the light brigade very much not like that they should be and neither should you be like the soldier in bayonet charge um, in a nightmarish terror no in the moment instead you should be listening and selecting the ideas that you think work for you what do you particularly speak to as Mr Forster said you wouldn't need all of this but if you pick out the bits that you think you can really work with and you have them ready to go then all you've got to do is twist them to the question yeah. that comes up and I think uh, because a final point just what we try to give you in these podcasts is a way of structuring those ideas yeah. so I think the most important thing here is the skeleton the main topic sentence is how are you going to organize your argument because mm. for AO1 you need to have a conceptualized argument that means a, a thread that runs through your essay um, that that the examiner can follow good on that note why didn't the skeleton go to the party I don't know because he had no body to go with on that bombshell <laughs> um, well we say on that bombshell we haven't actually done our conclusion do you think we should or do you think we should leave that up I, to our listeners leave it up to our dear listeners yeah so, your conclusion. You want do to a come, conclusion come back, yourselves come back you lazy toads <laughs> we can't do everything come come back to your thesis and think what are the poets ultimately saying mm. about the chaos and confusion of war and we have actually written it on the handout we're going home it's there alright thank you very much for joining us as ever Hit us up on the Twitter, at G Revision Pod. The Twitter, as they call it. The Twitter, is that right? At G Revision Pod? Yeah, that's what uh, we are. And the email? What is the email, sir? Is EnglishRevisionPod at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us and have a lovely half term. <laughs>